Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of our fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. We're going to jump into our babbling like butterbur segment here, so I'm going to check in with my brother Seth from the same mother. How the heck are you doing? Hey, I'm good, buddy. It's... It's a Saturday, you know, trying to get caught up on recording these a little bit. We we recorded three in advance thinking like, all right, that should be enough of a buffer. And uh, right. well, this one's supposed to go live on Monday. So we're getting caught up, though. Um, just, you know, another week. Amanda's still very, very pregnant. And, you know, each day brings us a little bit closer to that due date in the middle end of June. So we're really excited for it. But it's you know, one step at a time, one day at a time, things change very quickly. So yeah. How about you? What are you up to? Uh, so we just finished the semester of students, which is great. Um, I was definitely getting pretty exhausted that last month of May. Um, I remember we were still in May, but um, this was just a really busy month doing a lot of stuff and obviously seniors graduating and um, doing senior night for them. And then also going to grad parties, which is great. It's a lot of fun, but just, you know, adds to the schedule. But uh, we're leaving in the beach in, oh my gosh, four days, um, which is crazy. I'm not ready for it, I don't think. But we're we're taking 108 <laughs> students from Georgetown, which I'm in charge of, solely responsible for, um, and and 550 some from all of our all of our church. So it, it should be a lot of fun. I will uh, be out for an entire week, so I don't know if we'll be able to get another podcast going for for next time around. But uh, but yeah, other than that, Ariel and I are doing doing pretty well uh obviously our schedules are just i don't know we're hit and miss as far as spending good quality time together she just finished her semester subbing for the schools and now she's jumping into desserts by rebecca which has a bit of a different schedule to it which is fine but i'm just not not uh on a normal routine uh with with things as much but are you guys are your guys schedules kind of opposites a little bit where she's working right as you get home type of thing a little bit. Um, thankfully, thankfully, this next couple of weeks, it should be, I mean, she's coming to the beach with me, which would be awesome. But uh, when we get yeah. back, I think she'll be working like seven to three. So it's fairly similar to mine um, for most of the days, but then she'll have to work a Saturday or a Friday every once in a while um, when I obviously have those days off. So, um, but it, it's, it's, uh, it'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, glad she found that summer gig. I know that she enjoys that kind of thing. So that's awesome. Yeah. I saw you pulled four four fifty five again for the first time in a while. Yeah, I I mean I pulled the five ten probably like three or four months ago, and then I tweaked my back like we had talked about, you know, uh, a few episodes back. And ever since then, I've been easing my way back into heavier weights. And so I pulled four fifty five. I mean, it's honestly not much. It went up super smoothly. Yeah, I could definitely good. definitely could have pulled it five hundred again, but. It's all about kind of managing, you know, the stress on on your joints and your and your muscles and stuff. So I don't want to make those jumps too quickly after not doing it for a while. So I'm just slowly adding in some heavier singles and then, you know, jumping back to some back offsets for, you know, four to six reps with lighter weight, you know, in the mid yeah. to upper 300s. So, yeah, that's a smart way to do it. I since hitting 500, I've kind of backed off a little bit too on weight. 
like yesterday I just did three sets of 405 for five to just really work on form and making sure that I feel comfortable with the weight where it is and stuff. Cause I mean the 500 felt good, but I could definitely tell if I just didn't change anything and I tried to keep going up in weight, which I probably could have gone maybe another 10 pounds, but I could tell it was, you know, things were starting to break down a little bit in my form. So I uh, switched that around, but I did three, three sets of 405 or three on squats. So that that's yeah, feeling that's good. solid. Yeah. That's feeling pretty good. But You're how about those, your- uh, you're still kicking your butt back every time you yeah most likely yeah <laughs> i've been taking videos right. a little bit every once in a while it's always just weird being that guy to take videos in the gym because i mean yeah. there's like i went to the gym yesterday for the first time like after work like after work hours and they were just a bunch of like either like freshmen in college or like old old high schoolers just beefing around and you know they got their tripods and they got like everything going on it's like uh this is annoying they're so loud like oh, they yeah. just not not just like when they're working. I have nothing wrong with like grunting when you're working out, but like they just are talking and laughing and like four of them on a bench for maybe an hour and a half. Like I finished <laughs> that, my entire workout before they even finished benching. <laughs> I was like, that guys, that sounds like on. the freshman in college workout where you hit chest every day, some biceps yep. every day, and yep. and you call it good. When in reality, it, you, it's all about the posterior chain hitting legs and back. <laughs> yep. So oh, man. that that reminded me why I work out in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I remember. I mean, I thankfully have the home gym now, so I can just work out whenever and you know mm. only worry about myself. But yeah, I, I remember working out at the busy gyms, and it's like yeah, the mornings are mornings are when like the dedicated people who yes. are there to get work done. That's when they show up, and then Absolutely. afternoons, a lot of the people that go there just they want to be seen and they want to be you know they want people to watch them. So. Absolutely. It's a completely different environment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do have to mention for all our listeners who are Avs fans, let's go. (laughs) Yeah, that was a that was a heck of a closeout last night. It's it's kind of fun because we found a way through Discord to we I mean we're all in different states, but me, Sam, and our cousin Micah. My dad tuned in for a little bit um one night. Uh but we just hang out on in Discord with the video chat up and we all watch the game and talk about it it's 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 almost like we're watching the game together but i mean there's thousands of miles between all of us so it's you know there's there's some good things about technology that's for sure yeah yeah it definitely made it special because i mean literally nobody could give two craps about hockey here in kentucky (laughs) (laughs) i have like one coworker who's a predators fan and we almost went to a game together because nashville's like three hours away okay Um, but beyond that it was like Nobody here cares. So actually getting to watch with you guys was was fun. Obviously being on the East Coast time time zone is kind of difficult with how late the games are, but you stay up for it, you sacrifice for the fun and it was a good game and we we're going on to the conference finals for the first time in what, twenty years? Yeah, I think it's I think it's been twenty years, I'm pretty sure. Um I think it was two thousand two. Yeah. Might even have been two thousand one. I don't remember, but it was around that time. So long yeah, time. It's, yeah. it's been a long time. So I'm excited to I'm excited to see this next series and make quick work of Edmonton. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, let's jump into Riddles in the Dark. And Seth and I have been talking about this. We might change this up a little bit. We really liked doing the uh, grab a quote from any of the three books like we did last time. So we might just kind of morph Riddles into the Dark into that. But this, uh, we wanted to make sure we got one more good uh, pun in for each of us. So I'm going to start. Um, we know Smee. Uh, we love uh, a Gollum. Gollum's a great great character and he loves 
beautiful birdses, right? That's what he says uh, in the marshes, right? No beautiful birdses to eat. But he specifically has one kind of bird that he loves the most. What is, what is Gollum's favorite kind of bird? Also, want to say like a murder of crows, or uh, maybe <laughs> like good, a ro- maybe like a robin. I don't know. No, um, I like that. No, huh? I mean those could work. Uh, yeah, those are, those are both really good. He's definitely not a peacock. Let's be real there. Um, I I don't know. We've been Amanda and I've been bird watching all the time, but all we see out here in Michigan are blue jays and goldfinches and ro- like uh, cardinals and robins and like they're just beautiful birds. But none of them are fitting to to golems. Yeah, so. no, none of those. None of those. Uh, I don't know. You're, what, what do we got? What do we got? Well, it's actually a smeagol. Okay, a smeagol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I almost gave it away. I almost called him smeagol like twice. That's why I was like, oh crap, he's got it. Uh, well, then, yeah. I thought when you said that and you switched it to Gollum, I was like, oh, okay. So it's the it's a darker bird rather than, you know, that's uh, how I interpreted it. Yeah, that. gotcha. So, gotcha. Okay. You inadvertently, I like, I, I you like inadvertently messed Robin me up more. <laughs> good, good. All right, what do you All got? Right. Okay, um, so how does uh, Bilbo Baggins know when one of his neighbors has died? How does Bilbo Baggins know when one of his neighbors has died? Have died. Has died? Have died? I think it'd be have, right? <laughs> have died. Um, We're educated, I swear. Oh, uh, this wouldn't have to do with uh, old Bofo, or uh, what was his name? The mayor of the, of the Shire? Lotho? Because no. he died and he, nobody knew he he's died. Not the, he's not the, well, I guess after, at the end of the Return of the King, but no. Yeah, no. no. Okay, um, when Gandalf puts a mark on their door, uh, I got nothing. I mean, it's simple, Sam. He reads it in the habituary. <laughs> I should have guessed that. It's always, some, always something cheesy. Always something cheesy. All well, right, like I right. said, uh, we might move Riddles in the Dark more into this next part um, that we find a bit more fun and a bit more challenging in a good way. So, uh, Seth, you want to you wanna go first? Sure, yeah. Uh, again, I got my copy here. Got our nice book sound, so I'm just going to open it to a random spot here. Uh, and again, rules are we're looking for dialogue, but we don't want to say the character's name because that, that kind of just gives it away. Yep, um, he we're said, looking for she like, said. Yep, and we're looking for about three sentences, give or take. Great. Okay. Um, you cannot destroy ring wraiths like that. The power of their master is in them, and they stand or fall by him. We hope that they are all unhorsed and unmasked so that they are, for a while, less dangerous. But we must find out for certain. I'm thinking two towers. No? It is fellowship. Okay. So that means it would be... Ah, <laughs> uh, shoot. Council of Elrond at that point? I mean, is that your guess or like... Right. I'm just well. You got you got the book right. Fellowship. Yep. Who said yep. it? Fellowship. Who said it? I'm gonna say Elrond. No. Okay, so it's not Council. Well, I mean, it could be Council still, I guess. But because uh, I remember Smeagol says it in Two Towers. That's why my initial guess was that. Um, uh, okay, I could. That's fair. Do you want me to read it to you again? One more time. Sure. 
All right, all right. You cannot destroy ringwraiths like that. The power of their master is in them, and they stand or fall by him. We hope that they are all unhorsed and unmasked, and so made for a while less dangerous. But we must find out for certain. Must find out for certain. So you got the book right. Yeah, Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. What's the context? Who says it? Well, I mean, I want to say it's when they're in Rivendell and they're, or, or maybe when, uh, I don't know. Do you want me to give you another sentence or do you want me to, I'm going to guess Gandalf or Aragorn. I mean, one of those is correct. I'm going to go with Aragorn. (laughs) It was Gandalf. All right. Nice tries. Nice tries. Um, Give us three precious. Um, yeah, uh, it's actually Gandalf speaking to Frodo uh, about in Moria leaving. No, they're in. They're still in Rivendell, okay. but it's right before they leave Rivendell. They're uh, Gandalf sending out scouts right. and everything to make sure it's clear before they right, go out. Right. So dang it. That's, I mean, that's a hard one. That was tough. That that's was hard that was good though. Good job. Good try though. All right, good try. Turn. Let me find a spot here. Yeah, I definitely didn't hear you doing that with the book. <laughs> you didn't hear it? Uh-uh. This will probably be pretty obvious, but... Uh... I mean, if you preface it like that, you're just setting me up for failure. <laughs> it's a lose-lose for me at this point. Either I get it and it was easy, or I don't, and I'm a Well, fool. that's uh, funny you should mention that. All right, let's hear it. All right. That is good, he said. We boys are no longer allowed to pass the gate without an elder. Now we shall see better. For long, for long, he heard men calling. What do they say? He asked. For long has come, he answered. Old Forlong the Fat. Oh my gosh. I, that's literally on the tip of my tongue. Um, shoot. That's a good one. That's a hard one. That's yeah. a really obscure one. Um, this is definitely book only, for sure. Forlong. Forlong the Fat. Or along the fat that honestly me, i'm no 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 okay, no, no, no. Okay. i got this i got this i just can't think of his name um uh it's it's is a Belligan's son in the return of the king well, i don't remember his name it's like the little boy that pippin follows around and there yeah yeah forlong is one of the lords of gondor that's coming to minas tirith to help with the fight but i don't remember yes. the boy's name do you want me to give it away Oh, what's his name? His dad's Belligand, right? Or something like that? Yeah. Um, shoot. Yeah, what's his name? I don't remember. Virgil. Virgil. Or Burgle. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. That was good. You got it. You yeah. got it. Was, you were, I was you like, it's right there. there. It's right there. <laughs> They're dead on there. That was great. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right, so what are we getting into this week, Sam? All right, so this week is one of my favorite stories from the Silmarillion. Probably my favorite story from the Silmarillion is the well-known love story of Baron and Luthien. So this episode, there's going to be obviously a lot of like direct quotes and dialogue, but uh, we both thought, Seth and I, as we talked about this, that it's really important to understand the characters and to understand kind of what's going on. And there's some really beautiful description and really, uh, really great dialogue that happens that Tolkien really puts together. So... Um, one thing that's really important to know, obviously, most people who are deep diving into Tolkien already know that this story was made to mirror his own love story. 
um, with him and his wife. Uh, not that he uh, lost a hand or fought any werewolves, but a story <laughs> that, you know, he, he loved a girl so much that he'd do anything for her. Um, this is how he kind of prefaces the story in the Silmarillion. I'll just read the first little uh, tiny paragraph here. But this is Tolkien talking about the uh, Baron and Luthien story. Among the tales of sorrow and of ruin that come down to us from the darkness of those days, there are yet some in which amid weeping there is joy, and under the shadow of death light that endures. And these histories, most fair still in the ears of the elves, is the tale of Baron and Luthien. Of their lives was made the lay of Luthien, release from bondage, which is the longest save one of the songs concerning the world of old. But here is the tale, is told in fewer words and without song. So he says there, the, the tale of Baron and Luthien is the lay of Luthien. And we actually hear an excerpt of this um, that Aragorn sings. And Viggo Mortensen's just, he's an incredible actor. Like, I love how he sang Aragorn's uh, coronation song, but I also love in the extended version, uh, right after, or right before Frodo gets stabbed on Weathertop, he is, is singing the part of the lay of Luthien. And, and he even mentions, like, you know, in common speech, it doesn't sound very good. Like, it doesn't yeah. translate the best it could in common speech. It really needs to be spoken in, I think, Cinderin is what he was is using to sing it. But, uh, yeah, I just thought that was interesting that, you know, Aragorn, like, this story has been passed down. And it means so much to Aragorn because it really reflects his own love story as well. Well, not um, only that, but it's his ancestors, like, yeah. a million generations removed. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think it is important to mention too like within the silmarillion there's kind of three smaller like mini stories if you will so mm -hmm. like sam was saying this is this is an actual story so there's dialogue whereas most of the silmarillion is kind of just a history text without a whole lot of dialogue it's just kind of excerpts of you know major events and stuff and this one is uh this is like probably the main mini story of the three and there's actually been different books uh published or i guess the one book published by christopher his son uh yeah. where he went through all his dad's old writings all of uh jrr's writings and compiled all the different versions and this this story evolved in so many different ways in some some uh readings of it there's barons and elf and in you know, we know in the one that fi was finalized, he's a man. And some of them, there's these weird cats. And, like, there's yeah, just all yeah. kinds of different... One of them, he's a gnome, which uh, it. I was reading, like, the, the one that Tolkien, or that Christopher Tolkien published, and Baron was supposed to be a gnome. But he prefaces, like, obviously, gnome has such, has since changed in, in what it means. They're not little, you know, dwarf things <laughs> that are outside your lawn. So he's, yeah, I thought... You know, th yeah, there's a lot of different uh, variations of this story, but we're going to be looking mainly just like the Silmarillion, the one that actually fits within the yep. the world of Tolkien and, and Middle-earth. Yeah, exactly. Um, so who is Baron, might you ask? He's son of Barahir, uh, which might sound kind of familiar because of the Ring of Barahir that uh, is one of Aragorn's, uh, I guess they'd call it like a family heirloom from mm -hmm. thousands of years prior. Um, so the ring of bear here is actually Baron's dad gave it to Baron, but bear here was, uh, one of the leaders of one of the houses of men. And he actually helped, he lived in the forest of Dorthonian, um, and he helped, uh, Fenrod Felagund at the battle of sudden flame or the dagger Bragalath, uh, Bragalath, I believe it was called. Yeah. Um, so eventually 
Doria or Dorthonian, this location that was actually pr- pretty close to Angband, was overrun with orcs and nobody could really live there anymore. And everybody had been driven out except for Barahir, Baron, and then a band of like, I think it was said like 12 outlaws or something like that. 12 people, I believe mm-hmm. it was, and maybe their families. And so these guys were just causing, they were just wreaking havoc on all of Morgoth's all of his forces they were disrupting all the missions that they were trying to go on and stuff and it got to the point where morgoth said to sauron same sauron as lord of the rings said to him like figure this guy out (laughs) get rid of him find him he's too much of a pain in the butt let's get rid of him and so at one point sauron actually captures one of these outlaws named gorlim i believe is how you'd say it um yeah that's how it's it and the reason he captured him is because after a scouting party, the outlaws came back to their camp and Gorlim's like wife, uh, I believe wife and daughter were missing. And he thought that, or they, everybody was saying they were dead and he didn't think so. And so he kept sneaking out at night to try to find his wife. And that's how Sauron eventually ensnared him and captured him. And after a ton of tor- torture and torment, um, Sauron finally was able to get the information out of Glorim or Gorlim by just lying to him like he like he does. He's Sauron the Deceiver. Um he yep. basically told him, Oh yeah, we captured your wife and we'll uh you know we'll uh, give her back to you and let you both go free if you give up the hiding hiding spot of your of your band of outlaws. And like I said, after a lot of torture and then finally offering the one thing that Gorlim wanted the most, he gives in and gives away the uh the information. Uh, so of course Sauron sends a massive force to go and get rid of these, you know, these outlaws at their, at their secret encampment. One thing I will say too here is, is hilarious. Well, it's not hilarious. It's actually really morbid, but <laughs> Sauron, like we don't get to see this part of Sauron in Lord of the Rings. Cause he's, you know, kind of more of an object, especially in the movies depiction. We don't get to see him like actually play out as a, as a being, but with Gorlum, like he's he's like, oh, okay, you want to see your wife? Great. Like, tell me what tell me what you want, or tell me what I want to hear. So when he did, he's like, great. Now you guys, I'll, I'll let you see her, but actually she's dead, and I'm gonna kill you here too. So that's how you're gonna see her. And Tolkien literally says that he put him cruelly to death. So even after he got the information he needed, he's still delighted and and just, I mean, whatever cruelly to death means. I mean, it sounds pretty pretty awful, but like this is just the kind of the side of Sauron that we don't get to see in in the trilogy at all yeah it kind of puts him to perspective like how much of like he is a bad guy he's not just a all-seeing eye that is scary because he's supposed to be like he's actually a powerful being that's cruel and unusual and (laughs) yeah that's a i'm glad you mentioned that because i kind of spaced on it but yeah he 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 knew that he didn't have the power to you know to let Gorlim see his wife again because he knew she was dead and so he didn't actually Mm -hmm. lie he just deceived him and basically told like a partial truth like yeah you can see her again if you know you go to heaven or whatever afterlife you believe in but i'll hasten your your journey there so he was doing exactly what gorlam asked for but in you know a very devastating roundabout way (laughs) Um, yes absolutely so yeah baron was sent out to spy on the movements of the enemy um and Unfortunately, he really didn't do a great job because <laughs> when he came back, this was after Gorlam had given up the location of their hideout. Um, he came back to find everybody just slain and killed. They were, you know, they were ambushed, taken, you know, unawares and just 
killed. All of them were slaughtered. Um, so Baron was the only one remaining out of all of them. Um, so he um, basically vowed, like, I'm going to find the orcs that did this. I'm going to take them out. I'm going to avenge my father's death. And uh, he actually ended up tracking down the orcs that did it and single-handedly slew them. And I guess the orcs, <laughs> as weird as it sounds, they had cut off his dad's hand, Bear uh, Hare's hand, with the mm -hmm. ring on it. Um, I don't know if maybe it's because they didn't want to touch the ring or they just wanted to have the hand with the ring. They were going to bring it back to Sauron as like a token of we actually got yep. him like this. We got the right people. Um, yeah, probably proof of like, this is Barry here's hand. We left the ring on it kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, like, like do you need the hand? Yeah. Like, you have the ring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't so know. Uh, I don't know why, but Baron beat it to the wargs with chew toy. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so yeah, Baron finds him. He hunts him down. He sl slays them all, and then he gets his dad's hand back. Good job, bud. Um, and <laughs> with that, he gets the ring. And like I said, the importance of this ring is because it was given to Bear here. And let's see, uh, yeah, the Dagor Bragalak. I don't really know how to say that, but that was the Battle of Sudden Flame, which happened in the north where um, I believe the elves and the other men were uh, sieging Angband and trying to trying to get in and destroy Morgoth's fortress. And then Morgoth released the uh, fire drakes or the dragons. And that's why it was called the Battle of Sudden Flame, because out of nowhere, these fire-breathing dragons came out. But yeah, that sucks. <laughs> Fenrod Felagund, who is one of the main elves of the Silmarillion, he was kind of backed into a corner and he was about to die. And Bear here, actually, him and some of the other men went in and rescued him. And as a good faith token, Fenrod Felagund gave uh, this ring to Bear here. And this ring was created in Valinor. It's a beautiful ring. There's a great description of it in the Silmarillion, but I decided not to add that in. Um, it was a little too Tolkien-y to add in. <laughs> Well, it is, but it's also mentioned even just in the in the movie The uh, Two Towers, like when Wormtongue goes back to Saruman, it's like, oh, and there's this man with Gandalf, and Saruman's like, well, the man, wa was he from Gondor? And he goes, no, he was a ranger from the north, I think, he bore a strange ring, and then that's when he describes, like, the two serpents, one with a flower, one devouring, and, yep. and then he's like, oh, that's the, the ring of bear here, does Gandalf think he found Isildur's heir? Because that was you know what proved it but yeah no that's a that's a fantastic tie-in i do remember that scene so yeah no that's cool so basically the ring is you know it's it's a token of friendship between the elves and bear here which up to this point yeah they're friends but they the elves really do see themselves as like the higher race if you will like they're better than men because they live forever they don't die to disease you know like they still think mm -hmm. they're way better than men um, which you'll see in a little bit here with Thingol, but Baron goes, he gets his ring back and then he's like, all right, I don't really know what to do. So basically what he does is just running around all of Dorthonian and becomes just like this well-known menace to all of Morgoth's forces that are coming and going through that area and they can't capture him. They can't find him, but eventually they just put so much pressure on him that he's kind of forced to flee the area. There's just, he, you know, he's, he's, hung out there for too long he's made too much of a ruckus in this area he knows that if he hangs around he's gonna he's gonna eventually get captured yeah so he flees dorthonian and made his way into the wilderness of uh Dungortheb, i think is is how it's said um but this is kind of the place this is kind of like a no man's land uh the the place where like the sorcery of sauron and the power of million hit kind of uh yeah, they in intersect. contrast to one another yeah so it's 
I mean, nobody really lives there. It was actually kind of a location of pre-darkness uh, where, as we know, the spiders of Ungoliant lived with uh, other monsters that were born there. And what's interesting here is this is part of the story where uh, it's said Baron actually went through a lot of trial. Like he was beaten down in this place because there was no food for elves or men in Dungarthab. Uh, known to Baron, but he made through, but he wouldn't really speak of his time there. Like he spent a lot of time, like kind of wandering through this place, but he wouldn't really speak of it. So I'm curious, like what went down out there? Cause we just kind of hear like after he passes through this, we find that he's just a wreck. Like he's just a a, a tired uh, mess really is what we see. But um, he, he wanders through the wilderness for a long time, but then he goes into uh, Doriath, which is the kingdom of Thingol, who's really important. We'll get to here in a second but he uh goes through the passage of dungartheb and this is probably starts the i mean obviously his his greatest quest of his entire life um, but he's wandering through the woods of thingles thingles realm and he stumbles upon a gorgeous woman luthien the daughter of thingle and the maya Melian. so if you remember from a couple episodes ago we talked about uh, Melian and how she actually fell in love with an elf she's a maya kind of uh, uh one of those she's, higher beings. Yeah, she's of the same like order as like Gandalf and Sauron yeah. and Sauron and Radagast and all that. Yeah, and and yet she falls in love with an elf, so somebody of a lower status, so to speak. But uh, yeah, so this is Luthien, the daughter of those two, and she's just hanging out in the woods by herself, which is honestly kind of weird. But uh, well, it's because <laughs> it she goes around and dances and sings. Like she's not, you know, she's not just like well, wandering. I, I know that she's like I just. I don't know. It's not a hobby of mine that I would want to do, but <laughs> but yeah, she's she's dancing and she's singing. And uh, Tolkien again, he's his description is beautiful. And this even putting into context of how he actually felt about his wife, this is kind of what he said. Um, as soon as Baron laid eyes on Luthien, all memory of his pain, what he was holding onto through that you know really tough time, um, just departed from him, and he fell into an enchantment. For Luthien was the most beautiful of all the children of Ilavatar. Blue was her raiment, which I actually had to look up. Like, what is a raiment? It's just pretty much what she's clothing. wearing. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Blue is her raiment uh, as the unclouded heaven, which again, like you look at that description, the unclouded heaven. You think of, you look at the sky when it's completely clear, that just beautiful blue. Like, I love how he, how he writes. Yep. Uh, but yep. unclouded heaven. Um, but her light or her eyes were gray as a starlight evening. Her mantle was sewn with golden flowers, but her hair was dark as the shadows of twilight. As the light upon the eaves, uh, leaves of the trees, and as the voice of clear waters as the stars above the mists in the world, such as was her glory and her loveliness, and in her face was a shining light. So Tolkien t- spent a lot of time, like, again, at the description of his, of, of his wife. Like, I, I mean, I don't know necessarily what Edith looked like. We have some probably black and white pictures you could find of her, but he's, he's obviously embellishing. She but, does have dark hair, um, but again, it's hard to tell like the color of her eyes and what she was, yeah. you know, wearing. But I, I imagine, you know, like this is how he saw his wife, right? Yeah, yeah. Like this is, and you know, even if that's not how I would have perceived her, like this is how he perceives her, um, being so in love with her. But uh, what's what's interesting to know about this is um, Tolkien and Edith, they they loved each other, and they actually kind of grew up together. Interestingly enough. Um, his guardian forbade marriage 
until the legal age of 21 and worried that Edith would distract him from his studies, which obviously, as we know, Tolkien was a brilliant person and uh, was very, very studious. Um, but they eventually do get married, and after a long, successful marriage, uh, John Ronald Rule and Edith are buried next to each other, and on their headstone is Baron and Luthien. Uh, so it's really, really cool that he... He's like, this is the story of me and my wife. And he put that into, I mean, just such a, such a fantastic story. But going back to the story, Luthien just kind of vanished from Baron's sight. So after he's, he's just stunned, he's looking at this beautiful woman, he's seeing everything that Tolkien just describes, then just boom, Luthien's gone. I was going to say, I think that, I mean, from Luthien's perspective, it's like, who the heck is that? I thought I was alone. I got to go. Like, I mean, think of you know yeah, women, well, sure. women <laughs> these days walking down like you know a dark alley. It's like, oh, who's that? I they shouldn't be there. I need to go the opposite direction. Like she was probably worried for herself yeah. a little bit, right? Like who is this person? Yeah, yeah you're probably you're probably right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so as soon as she vanishes, uh, like most men, Baron was just stricken dumb, <laughs> uh, as if he was put under a spell because he was like just enthralled by looking at this beautiful, beautiful woman. She's gone, and then he's like, uh. Uh, oh gosh, like I, I have a life, I matter. Like well, I don't know what to do with my life now. Um, so he lo- he wanders and he searches for her, uh, but he didn't know her name. So he called her. Just he thought of what like what's the most beautiful thing I could call her, and he comes up with the word Tenuvial, uh, which means uh, nightingale, daughter of twilight. Um, so he saw her face a few other times. Like he kept wandering through the woods. He'd see her, she'd vanish. He'd see her, he'd vanish. Um, stuff stuff like that, but. As Luthien, uh, as we mentioned, is the daughter of Melian, so she has magical powers, and uh, Baron saw her through these magical powers as winter turned to spring. And this is an excerpt from uh, the Silmarillion that I'll just read out. Uh, there came a time near dawn on the eve of spring, and Luthien danced upon a green hill, and suddenly she began to sing. Keen, heart-piercing was her song, as the song of the lark that rises from the gate of night and pours its voice among the dying stars. Seeing the sun behind the walls of the world, and the song of Luthien released the bonds of winter, and the frozen waters spoke, and the flowers sprang from the cold earth where their feet had passed. So she's pretty much just like singing spring into existence. She's melting the snow, she's uh, opening up the flowers, and and boom, with her powers is springing open, um, which is really, really cool. Yeah, I think, I don't know, it kind of puts into perspective, like, yeah, Melian is you know, she's a Maya, she has those magic powers. Um, and then, you know, Luthien had to have gotten some of those and you'll find out later in the story. She got a lot of them. Um, he's got a she's lot, got of, a power. lot of power. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's cool to see, like, this is just her kind of like her beauty radiating, you know, like she walks in during winter and her beauty's radiating and it just melts the snow away. She's, she's like, I'm happy. I'm joyous. I'm ready for spring. And here, here it is. Here's spring. Um, so it's kind of crazy because at this point the spell is lifted from Baron. So for whatever reason, he was kind of under that spell where he was just searching, trying to find her and calling out and always just barely missing her. And he couldn't even, it was almost like his arms were chained. Like he couldn't, he just could never catch her. Um, but for whatever reason at this point, uh, that spell is lifted and he just cries out to Nuviel, to Nuviel. And when she hears this, she just stops dancing. Um, and she looks at him and goes over to him. And at this point, when she laid eyes upon him, her doom was was cemented. I mean, Baron's doom was when he first laid eyes on her. And then <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it took a little bit of chasing here and there for, for uh, Luthien to kind of feel that same way towards him. But yep. the weird thing is, as the day um, was breaking, so this must have happened at night, as the day was breaking, she actually slipped away again. And Varen is is just heartbroken. He was he fell to the ground, um, stricken with bliss and grief, um, which is an interesting, you know, it's an interesting combination. Those are two types of emotions that you don't really think yeah, of you together. Really put together. Yeah, you don't really put yeah. them together. But he he felt these so deeper deeply, this bliss and grief. And I almost wonder if this kind of harkens back to Edith and and John Roll, um, John Roll, however you say it, rolls. Ronald Ronald rule. There you go. Um, their relationship where they just weren't able to be together, even though he kept trying and trying and trying and his guardian Mm -hmm. kept pushing it away. You know, um, didn't she even get engaged to a different guy? I think she did at one point. I, I don't know for sure on that, but I think she might have. Um, but either way, I mean, it's just interesting to see, you can tell that it's a man writing from, his perspective of what's going on. Absolutely. Um, I don't think a Absolutely. woman would write a love story this way. I could be wrong, but um, at this point, the the fate of man laid heavily on Baron. So, you know, the second children of Iluvatar, the men, they're not going to live forever. They're not immortal like the elves. And he's like, crap, I'm mortal. This, I obviously she's an elf. She's immortal. Like there's no, like there's no way we can have a relationship between the two. Like it's never happened before. And yeah. so he just kind of, he just fell to the ground stricken with bliss and grief. Like this is the happiest I'll ever be. And the saddest I'll ever be, I guess I'll just lay here and die. Like <laughs> yeah. it is what it is. Um, but Luthien actually came back for him, like against all his hope. Uh, she came and she found him and she put her hand in his and kind of like nursed him back to health. I don't, he, Tolkien doesn't really explain how that happened, but um at this point, they they decided to start spending time together, and they were going through the woods of Doriath and exploring and just spending time together for uh, the entire spring and summer. And it was said that no others had such great joy, though the time was brief. Um, and I love that. That's that's really cool to put it in perspective. Like how who the company you're with, you know, it doesn't matter how long you're with them. You know, like I, when I first started dating Ariel, like if we got. 10 minutes together, 15 minutes together. It was like, this is the happiest I've been all week. Like, even though maybe I really enjoyed playing baseball for a whole game or playing video games with you guys, like just that, you know, hour, 15 minutes, whatever that date night with Ariel, just I'm the happiest I've ever been. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. So yeah, I, I mean, they were just living in bliss running around the woods and, you know, they, there wasn't really a plan for anything, but there was another elf that actually, uh, I think he was a menstrual. I forget his name. Yeah. Uh, I think it started with a D or something, but he's not really mentioned after this, but he definitely, um, was jealous of Baron. I mean, he was in love with Luthien cause she was the most beautiful being on the planet. Dar, Daron, Daron, Darion, 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 Darion. Darion. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Darion actually gets, you know, he's super jealous and he's kind of a little whiny, sore loser. And he goes yep. and tattles on Luthien to her dad, Thingle. Um, and Thingle is obviously king of, of, of this area. Um, they are, their capital city is in what they call Minigroth, which is the thousand caves. And 
he calls Luthien over to him and he's like, all right, you need to explain what the heck is going on. Who is this person? Why is there a man in my land where that should not be the case? How did he get here? Who is he? Why are you running around gallivanting with him? Basically like what, what's the deal? And Luthien's scared for Baron because she knows her dad. She knows kind of his wrath and his, his thought process. And she refuses to say a word about it until he swears that he won't one imprison him or two slay him. So Thingol, her dad, has to actually promise to not basically not do any harm to Baron before, you know, before she's willing to even open her mouth about it. Yeah, and that's the first of many times where Luthien saves Baron's life. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a very good point. But I also think it's interesting, like we already talked about it. Like Thingol is an elf and he's married to somebody higher than him as a higher being. You'd think he'd have more understanding about this relationship. Like, Oh, you know, I, I can kind of feel for you. Right. But no, he's, he's stuck up. He's, he's kind of sitting on his high, high seat of, well, I'm an elf. Like we, we elves have to stick together. And it's like, dude, you're literally living the exact same life. Yeah. No, I actually thought that exact same thing as, as I was reading it. I mean, the parallels are right there, but he's so blind to, mm-hmm. um, to that parallel, which I mean, it, <laughs> it kind of goes back to the Bible, you know, like, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log sticking out of yours. It's like, it's, yep, the, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, he went through the same type of relationship yet. It was okay for him to do it, but not for his daughter. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic tie in. Um, but Basically, Thingle was like, yeah, yeah, okay, um, I'm going to go capture Baron and bring him in to talk. And Luthien, this is where she kind of swoops in, and she actually brings Baron to her dad before he can be captured and does it as like a guest of honor. So like this just really pisses off Thingle because he <laughs> he's like, who? first of all, who is this guy? Why do I care about him? And now he's being presented as like a guest of honor where no man has come before. Um, and he actually looks upon Baron with uh, Tolkien says with anger and scorn and asked him, who are you to come hither as a thief and unbidden dare and unbidden dare to approach my throne. Um, and this is interesting. You'll notice through this whole interaction between Thingol, Baron, Baron, um, both Luthien and, and, uh, Melian are there. And Melian is incredibly wise as we've already talked about. She is, you know, she can see things far into the future. She kind of knows the way the world is working, like things to be wary of. And she just kind of just kind of holds her her peace until it's her time to really, um, mm-hmm. you know, let Thingle know what he's done. Uh, so I just yeah. kind of thought that was an interesting aside. Um, and so Luthien tries to speak up on Baron's behalf. And she's like, this is the son of Bear here. He fought with Fenrod Felga. Like he's he's a friend to the elves. Like he he has the ring of Bear here. Like. Yep. He is a friend. He is a man of honor. He's been a side and uh, a thorn in the side of Morgoth for years. He's got you know great. He's done great deeds for um, our cause. And he ba- Thingle basically tells her like, "Shut up." He's like, "Let Baron speak for himself. I don't need to hear this from you." So you can tell just uh, right off the bat, like he's. I don't know. He's just kind of grumpy. He's kind of that protect overprotective dad where it's like, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're not going to be good enough. Exactly. He's just, he's pissy right off the get go. Um, Mm -hmm. And you'll see that actually kind of gets him into a little bit of trouble. Um, So it's, it's interesting because Baron is actually pretty intimidated at first. Like he's, 
he knows that he's in the presence of this mighty king of this Maya. He's in this place where no man has been before. He's he's intimidated. Um, and, yeah. But then as he looked up, he looked at first Luthien and then his glance went over to Melian. And Tolkien describes it as if words were placed in his mouth. So I don't know if that's, you know, maybe one of the Valar giving him words to speak because that's happened before. Um, well, yeah. actually not yet, but it happens later on. Um, yeah. with different different characters so is it that or is it melian kind of using some of her powers to help him speak wisely um i don't know basically these words just came to his mouth so i'm kind of based on how tolkien described it, i'm kind of inclined to think that that's melian using her very subtle powers to you know kind yeah. of stick up for him a little bit and Definitely. and he responds to thingle i mean thingle's calling him um unbidden he's calling him all these names he's really rude to him and just uh just keeps saying how poor uh status baron is compared to everybody um yep. and baron actually looks up at him locks eyes with him and he says my fate o king has l- led me hither through perils such as few even the elves would dare and i have found Ooh. here what i sought not indeed but in finding i would possess forever for it is above all the gold and silver and beyond all the jewels, neither rock nor steel, nor the fires of Morgoth, nor the powers of elf kingdoms shall keep me from the treasure I desire. And he, this treasure is obviously Luthien, right? Yep. Um, yep. So he's almost, in, he's not really insulting Thingle, but he's basically saying like, I've done things that you guys won't even dare to do. And I like, mm-hmm. you need to respect me. I'm not just a yep. pushover, right? Uh, so it's interesting because everyone who was watching this encounter, they were kind of like, oh, snap. Like, he just said that to the king. Like, yeah, they're waiting for him to get his head cut off or something. Yeah. Yeah. He, they're just something bad's going to happen. Um, but he did swear that oath. Right. Thingle swore that oath to, yep. oath to Luthien. And he basically says, like, if I didn't swear this oath, you know, too hastily and I, I now regret swearing it, if I wouldn't have done that, you'd be dead right now because of those words. Um, and he goes on to call Baron. He just keeps insulting him. He calls him uh, baseborn spy thrall, like all these different names of just like we're better than you. You're a, you're a thrall. You're a slave. You're a servant. You're a, maybe you're a spy of Morgoth. You're baseborn. You're just you know the lowest yeah. of the low. Just all these insults. Um, and Baron basically looks right back at him after this threat, where he's like, "If I didn't swear this, I'd have killed you." Um, Baron looks at back at him and he says, death, you can give me earned or unearned, but the yeah. names I will not take of you baseborn spy nor thrall by the ring of Felagund that he gave bear here. My father in the battle of the North, my house has not earned such names from an elf, whether he be King or no. So basically Baron's like, I do not care, um, what you do to me, but those insults are not justified and I'm standing up for myself with it, which I think is a good lesson. Like he's, he's being pushed, yeah. he's being goaded. He's trying to be, you know, Thingle's really trying to get under his skin and he just stands up for himself and he's like, we don't deserve to be talked to like this. This isn't, um, you know, I, this isn't what the, you know, my father and everybody fought so hard for to be called these things. Yeah. Right. And he's not returning fire with fire. He's not trying to like scorn the king either. I mean, he he does kind of subtly like king or no, like it doesn't matter. But he's he's definitely not trying to return fire with fire and make it a, a, a big argument and, you know, just 
spewing names at each other like we see so many people do on social media or like you know celebrities or athletes that just go back and forth calling each other names and baron's like nah man i'm not gonna i'm not gonna play your game that's that's actually a fantastic point sam i yeah that's i mean he just like you said he he's he stands up for himself and he stands his ground he's not going to be pushed around about it but he's also not going to escalate the conflict right like Yep. He's not going to try to return fire with fire. Like you said, he's going to stand his ground. He won't be pushed back from that ground, but he's not necessarily going to advance. Um, yep. And I think I think that's a very wise way to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so Melian at this point, she actually kind of leans in. Remember, she's kind of been sitting in the background a little bit, but she she sees things. Mm-hmm. She hears things. She knows a lot. She's a super powerful being. And she kind of just leans in and whispers to him. He's whispers in Thingle's ear and she's like, you know, you should probably forgo some of this wrath uh, that you have. And she says, and I quote, for not by you shall Baron be slain and far and free, far and free does his fate lead him in the end. Yet it is wound with yours. Take heed, which I think is just, I mean, that warning. And as you'll find out, comes to pass a hundred, 110 percent. Um at, at the end, like maybe we'll revisit this at the end of the story because this like, yeah, little warning should. is spot on for how it plays out. And Melian, she can see things, right? Like she can see into the future. She has this foresight mm-hmm. and she just has such wisdom that she's like, you need to be careful because you're going to get yourself in trouble if, if you're not careful because Baron's, you know, his fate is intertwined with yours, but his mm-hmm. fate's happening regardless and you don't want to end up on the wrong side of his fate. Yeah. So at, at this point, so Thingle's thinking to himself, okay, well, I should probably heed a little bit of what my wife is saying. But at the same time, I still don't like the idea of uh, like just letting Baron marry my daughter, right? So he thinks, what can I do that could be a win-win situation? And he pretty much says something. He's like, okay, well, how about this? He, he says, how about you get me a Silmaril? Which, you know, at this point, all the Silmarils, as we talked about last uh, episode, they're in the... They're in the presence of Morgoth right now. He has them on his iron crown and Angband. And so he's saying, if you get me one of the cylinder, just just one, which kind of <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about later, but he says, just give me one Silmaril, and then you can have my daughter. When obviously this is pretty much saying, like, we all want things we can't have. You want my daughter, you can't have her. I want the Silmarils, I can't have them. So if you go get me the Silmaril without dying, we can both have what we want. And everyone around him was like just kind of shocked at this at this thought because again it it was an impossible impossible task and i mean the 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 silmarils were with morgoth he's surrounded by balrogs and swords and bars and uh, unassailable walls and dark majesty of i mean it's just tolkien says he, he repeats over and over like this is an impossible task and you know, for me, if I was Baron, I would probably be like, oh my gosh, like that is a lot to ask. Uh, let me think about this. But he, <laughs> he doesn't like what, uh, what's his response. So kind of like you chuckling right now. Um, and again, keep in mind that like there's, there's uh Feanor that we talked about last week, his seven sons, they've all sworn this oath, right? To go get the Silmarils and attack friend or foe, whoever may have it and withhold it from them. Right. So that, it all gets intertwined. But if Feanor, as we talked about last week, how strong and powerful he is, if him and his seven sons can't do this, you really think a mortal man would be able to? Right. Like, this is an impossible task. It's just, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. 
And and Thingol's almost mocking Baron by requesting that he do this. He's like, yeah, go die, go have fun. It'll get rid of you right. for me. Um, right. So clearly, he didn't heed Melian's warning in that he would be far and free. Does his fate lie free? So Melian's like, you got to be careful. That's not. It's not going to kill him. <laughs> but he still yeah. does this because he's mocking him. So kind of like me and Sam chuckling here. I mean. Baron literally just laughed in his face. And that I just love this quote. He looks right at Thingol after Thingol tells him to go do this impossible task. And he looks at him and he says, for little price do elven kings sell their daughters for gems and things made of craft. But if this be your will, Thingol, I'll perform it. And when we meet again, my hand shall hold a Silmaril from the Iron Crown, for you have not looked to the last upon Baron, son of Barahir. So he basically is like, that's all you want for your daughter done no hesitation like this might be an impossible task but if that's what you want for your daughter i i consider it cheap like yeah i value your daughter so much higher than anything you could ever ask for and so he's like a silmaril that we talked about last week is just this important beautiful jewel that basically is the entire you know story up until this point he's like that's nothing compared to your daughter <laughs> For little price do elven kings sell their daughters for gems and things made by craft. I just, I love that quote because yeah. when you think about it, you think of Ariel and I think of Amanda and it's like, yeah, I wouldn't trade Amanda for anything. There's nothing. Absolutely. You could offer me all the money in the world. You could offer me, you know, like Amanda is so much more valuable than anything you could offer. And so it's hundred percent Baron's thinking right along those same lines. Um, and it's kind of interesting because after this, Baron's like, peace out. I'm going to go do this. Um, and as we'll get into in the following weeks, it doesn't very go very smoothly, but we'll see how it turns out. Um, but this is where Melian, again, kind of leans into Thingol again. And she says, oh, King, you have devised cunning counsel, basically saying, you think you're real smart, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and she says, but if my eyes have not lost their sight, it is ill for you whether Baron fail in his errand or achieve it for you have doomed either your daughter or yourself. And now is Doriath. So their place where they live is drawn within the fate of a mightier realm. So if you remember the, the curse of Mandos and everything that was roped in with the Silmarils, right? Basically Melian saying by tying yourself to Baron through Luthien to go get the Silmaril, you're now tying yourself to not only Angband and Morgoth and all of that, but also Valinor and the, the Curse of Mandos and the Valar. And she's like, you have no idea, no idea what you just did. Um, which is, you know, she's very wise as, as you know, we'll find out later in the story. But I, I, I just find it interesting how he won't listen to her counsel. And she keeps giving him these subtle warnings like, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. But his pride is just, you know, it's it's too much to overcome. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So this is kind of where we'll end for today. Um, this is where the story really begins to pick up. So this is basically just a little bit of backstory on how Baron and Luthien met. Like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, it's really important to kind of understand the characters, their motivations, understand why, like why anybody would go and try to attempt this impossible task right if you don't understand the characters and their motivations you're not going to do that so that's why we spent so much time on it here in this episode but this is really where you know things start to pick up and from this point on we're going to see loyalty treachery deeds of valor 
magic, true love, and heartbreak. I mean, every emotion you can possibly think of is kind of wrapped up into the story in the in the coming episodes. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to to talk about one of my favorite characters, Huan, the the dog. I mean, I don't I don't know. Maybe I should do some history on Tolkien. I, he had to have had a dog. Like, oh, I guess we're both it. dog owners. Like we both love our pups. Like he he creates probably the goodest of boys <laughs> in this next section that we'll be talking about. Oh but, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, like Seth said, we'll be diving uh, deeper into Baron and Luthien in our next episode. But right now, Gondor is calling for aid. So we broke into the house of Metaseld and we shout, Gondor falls, calls for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? So if you enjoyed this podcast, please light a beacon by sharing it with fellow friends and fans. Also, don't forget to su- subscribe and leave us a review. We only have one review on right now. It's pretty funny. We'd love to hear more thoughts as well. Uh, but if you'd like to share your Tolkien story, how you got into Tolkien, please share it with us and we'll read it here on the podcast. You can email me at weckpodcast at gmail.com. W-E-C podcast at gmail.com. Well, until next week, where we'll dive in further into Baron's quest. Thank you for joining us for some well uncomforts. We bid you a very fond farewell. That's so weird. (laughs) So weird.